do so is join together now as God's people and taking our copy of God's Word, and we will turn back together to the book of Acts. This morning we'll begin in Acts chapter 2, we'll look at verses 1 through 13 as we come back to our series on this book. I'm thankful for my good friend, Reverend Brian Bolt, to fill the pulpit last Sunday to preach on the parable of the prodigal son. It's always good to be reminded of the gospel truths and that parable is familiar to so many of us. But as we come back to our study on the book of Acts, let's kind of catch up a moment on where we've been, just really through, through chapter 1, look at the nuts and bolts of, of this book, that it was written by Luke, who was not an original apostle, who came along later. We believe he was a physician by trade, and so we will refer to him at times as, as Dr. Luke. He was inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit to write this book, and to specifically write on, on the history of of the birth and early days of the church. It's interesting to note, in writing this, what's the first major event he he records for us? Well, it's the ascension of Jesus Christ. This reminder that that part of the meaning of the ascension is for Jesus to to be ascended to the right hand of the Father, where in that place, he now fulfills the role of the head of the church. That the ascension had to take place for the birth to take place. So we, we, we think of the ascension and that Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father to be the king and, and head of the church. And then from that, we, we talk about aspects of revival that we are to see in the church. Not just a one-time revival, but an ongoing revival. And then our last time in it, we, we looked at Judas. And that Judas was an evil man. And that Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus for a handful of silver. But that Satan was using Judas to try and stop the church. To try and stop the ministry of Jesus that would lead to the church. But Jesus is always victorious. God is always victorious. So try as Satan Satan would and could. He's a defeated foe. And so we see that in that the church is being birthed. And the apostles gather together and they say, we need another apostle. We're down, now down to 11. They cast lots and they choose Matthias to replace Judas, who was an evil man who died in an evil way. And so that brings us this morning to chapter 2, and we look at Luke's account of Pentecost. So with that catching up, let's pray now as we come before God in this passage. Let's pray uh, together. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds So we would hear your word and believe your word, because it is your word. And in this, that we would receive and rest upon Christ as he's offered to us here. And this this part of your word of of Acts chapter 2. And that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this we pray now in his name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, and they were saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I think if we read this passage and we, we read it, we hear it, we can understand why this has fascinated Christians throughout the ages when they've heard it and read it. On a level, it, it's a fantastical passage. Right? We're, we're told about a sound like the wind from heaven appearing out of nowhere and, and it's blowing through this room that's filled with the followers of Jesus. And once the, the sound of the wind dives down, then these tongues of, as of fire appear out of nowhere. And, and they descend upon not just the apostles, but, but everyone in the room that Luke earlier numbers around 120. It, it, it comes down and settles over every person in the room. And no one is burned. No one suffers third degree burns. Their hair, their, their, their eyebrows, their beards, their mustache, nothing is singed. And then as that happens, and everyone opens their mouths to begin to proclaim and wonder what's happening, they find that they're, they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking these different foreign languages that they haven't studied. They don't, they don't know how to speak. If we're honest, this, this is a wild passage. It's, 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 it's different. It's fantastical. It, it reads like it's something out of a work of fiction, out of something out of a work of fantasy. But it's not fiction. It's, it's not fantasy. It, it happens. It's, it's real. It's historical. It happened. This isn't metaphorical. This isn't allegorical. This isn't any sort of irregal. <laughs> this is all real and historical. And, and I think that's where our fascination comes in. And I think that's where some Christians tend to get sidelined. Because it, it really did happen. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And we have nothing like that in our own lives. We haven't experienced anything like that. So it makes us stop and wonder, what was it like for them? Maybe we try to put ourselves in their shoes, and what was it like to be in that room, to be waiting with the other followers, and you're, and you're, and you're prayerful, and you're, and you're singing. And then out of nowhere, I mean, it's not a thunderstorm, a hurricane didn't come up. Out of nowhere comes this sound like wind from heaven is blowing through the room. And, and, and then as that, science, that sound dies down, you, you look up, and these... Tongues of fire appear out of nowhere. You know, this isn't you know, fireflies or anything you know, spontaneously combusting. These are these obviously divine flames of fire appearing out of nowhere. And they descend down and, and, and they rest on every person in there. And again, no one yells out, ow! You know, or give me the aloe. Right? No one is burned. And then you open your mouth to say, what is going on? And you're able to speak in another language you don't know. What was that like? To take all five of your senses, how did it affect it? How would you process that if you were there? 
I'll be honest with you. If I was there, that was happening. I think I might start backing out to the back door because I think I'd be kind of overwhelmed. I need to go outside and get a breath of fresh air. Maybe go out to the store and get a drink because it seems overwhelming. But this is where we can get sidetracked. And I think it's okay for us to wonder about what it was like. Because the story is told to us in such a descriptive way, we can't help but wonder what it was like. But at the end of it, we find that it's a sort of mystery. Because we have nothing to compare that to in our own world and our own experience. But we've heard a strong wind, but not a wind that comes out of nowhere and it sounds like it comes from heaven. We don't see fire just appear out of nowhere. We haven't opened our, our mouths and begun to speak in a little language we don't know. It's all a mystery. Because what does a sound like wind from heaven sound like? We don't know. It's a mystery. What do these tongues as a fire look like? We, we, again, we don't know. It's a mystery. What's it like to open your mouth and be able to speak in a language you don't know? We don't know. It's a mystery. I tried to do that in high school with Spanish. I didn't study it and then try to pass the final exam. I wasn't given a gift of tongues, and so I never I failed Spanish. So we don't know. We don't know what it's like to open our tongue, our mouths, and speak in language we don't know. At the end, all we can do is wander, wonder, and ponder, because it's a mystery. Sometimes we as Christians don't like mysteries, do we? We want answers. But this is where Deuteronomy 28, 28 comes in. That God makes known to us some things, but he doesn't make known to us all things. But I think we see folks get further sidetracked when they, go, they get so wrapped up in, in the wandering and the, in the, in the pondering and the mystery that they end up going down the path that what Luke describes here is meant to be normative for all the church and for all Christians. And we see evidence of this still in different churches and denominations out there. That what Luke describes here on Pentecost should, should be normative for all Christians and for all churches. Either explicitly or either uh, or, or something similar to it. But this should be the normative experience. That there should be some sort of extraordinary, mysterious working of God where you know you've been given the Holy Spirit, where God's at work in such a way that if you haven't had this experience, then you haven't been given the gift. And I trust we can all see the danger in that thinking. Again, we, we joke about being the frozen chosen Presbyterians. Um, but there is something to be said uh, about us trusting in the Bible, trusting the teachings of the Bible, and trusting how those teachings have been handled over the ages. Because we can fall into this trap of thinking that God will only work in extraordinary ways. And I think that love and desire of the fantastical and extraordinary we see in other churches, but it has seeped into churches like ours. And here's what I mean. And I say, I say we, I mean we generally. We love to hear the testimonies of Christians are uh, 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 these Christian testimonies of faith that are, that are extraordinary. What gets our attention is hearing about somebody who was so evil and, and, and bad and wicked, and they did evil and bad and wicked things. 
like a hell's angel, or a mass murderer, a serial killer, a drug dealer, somebody we think really, really bad. And then the Lord saved them in this rather extraordinary way. Those are the people who are asked to write books about their testimonies. Those are the people who other people pay to go and hear their testimonies. Those are the people who get asked to speak at conferences. That's who we get excited about. We don't get as excited about the testimony of the Christian who was born to a Christian family, was raised in the faith, a regular churchgoer, active in Sunday school, active in youth group, falls in love, they have children, they raise them to fear and admonition of the Lord, and then they die of old age. They're not asked to write books. Maybe because the books would be really small, not a lot to them. They're not asked to write books. They're not asked to come and speak at conferences because they're not fantastical stories. They're not testimonies of extraordinary means. It's just normal, ordinary, and even mundane. And I think it's safe to say that the modern day church has at least a quiet disdain for the normal, ordinary, mundane works of God. At the very least, a quiet disdain, at the most, a distrust that God would ever humble himself to work in normal, ordinary, mundane ways. That God will only work in mysterious ways like we see in our passage. But as we look at this, I hope you will see along with me, that's not the point that Luke is making here. What happened was fantastic, yet that's not the focus. The focus is meant to be on the reality. The emphasis is meant to be on a reality that has now entered into the church. Luke never meant for us to get stuck in those verses about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Luke means us to get stuck in what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Now, we can make no mistake about it. It was an unusual day for sure. We're told it's Pentecost, and that literally means the 50th day. So it would be the 50th day after the Sabbath of the Passover week. And so Pentecost was, Pentecost was celebrated on the first day of the week. It was one of the three great annual feasts of Israel. It's preceded by Passover and followed four months later by the Feast of Booths. It's also called a Feast of Weeks because it was celebrated seven weeks after Passover. But in Jewish tradition, this feast, Pentecost, was associated with the giving of the law since Israel reached Mount Sinai about two lunar months after crossing the Red Sea. As we read in our passage, it said devout Jews were coming to Jerusalem. So Jews from all over would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So there, there, there's a crowd there. So we're told today, we're told the crowd, but then Luke does something that we miss in the English because we don't have a word to emphasize this in the English. But the Greek word here, when he says that the day of Pentecost arrives, that Greek word is unusual. We could probably better translate it as was fulfilled. So it says that the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Now, why does Luke use that word? What does he mean? Well, he does that because this was the day on which Jesus would fulfill his promise to baptize his followers with the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now go back with me to, to chapter 1. As Luke begins his story of the church, he, he recounts this conversation that Jesus has with the, with the disciples. He says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So Jesus makes this promise. Wait here. I'm going to ascend, but you wait here because you have the promise of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the followers, they, they obey, they, they, they wait. And as Tom Petty saying, sometimes the waiting is the hardest part. Now the waiting is over. And the promise of Jesus will be fulfilled this day. They are gathered up in the upper room and this promise given to them by their now said that Jesus is coming true. And I love the fact that what the, the choir saying earlier is titled the upper room because that's where the apostles and the followers of Jesus are. The same upper room where Jesus instituted the Passover or instituted the Lord's Supper. The same upper room that Judas left from to betray Jesus. The same upper room that Jesus took his disciples from to prepare them for the crucifixion. So the fulfillment is coming. The the, the day has arrived where Jesus' promise is going to be fulfilled. And then Luke tells us how it will be fulfilled. And again, it's fantastic. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, as we've said over and over again, this is mysterious, it's fantastical. But just under the surface, under the surface, there's a lot of Bible taking place. Let's begin with the wind. Wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. Many of us memorize John 3 16, one of the first verses we memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. I have everlasting life. Do you remember who Jesus was in conversation with that he said that to? You might remember. It's Nicodemus. Do you remember who Nicodemus was? He's a Pharisee. He came to Jesus by night. That tells us a lot about Nicodemus right there, doesn't it? At that time. Came to Jesus by night. Before Jesus told him John 3 16, he told him this The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So one of the first conversations recorded for us in the, in the Gospel of John is Jesus taking uh, the wind and applying it to the Spirit. Then later on, John chapter 20, he says, it says, and when he has said this, when Jesus said this, he breathed on the disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we find that wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence. The Greek and Hebrew words for spirit can also mean wind or breath. So the Spirit's life-imparting power is portrayed in this imagery of filling lungs with the breath of life. Here the, the church's spiritual lungs are being filled so they can go out and declare God's mighty deeds. This isn't a wind from a thunderstorm. This wind is divine, is divinely sent in order for the followers of Jesus to declare the divine message of their divine God. It's the presence of the Spirit now with them. And as we'll see more in a minute, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the focus, is to enable and equip God's people to go and tell others about the wonders and grace of the triune God. So after the wind comes the fire. So go back with me uh, to your Old Testament Sunday School lessons and Bible, a vacation Bible school lessons and, and studies. 
Let's go all the way back to Moses and Exodus. With Moses, how did God first reveal himself to him? Do you remember? Moses is out in the wilderness, and what did he see? A burning bush. A bush literally on fire, but not consumed. Who was manifesting himself in the burning bush? It's God himself. Moses sees this bush being consumed. God calls out to him, says, Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Moses says, who are you? He says, I am. Divine name for God. Now go further into Exodus. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. At night, how does God lead them? Through pillars of fire. Now we come to Pentecost. Now we come to the upper room. The wind has died down. And what appears? Out of nowhere appears these tongues as a fire. And this is Luke saying, it's, it looks like fire, but it's not fire because it didn't burn up anybody. But these tongues of fire appear out of nowhere and they rest on each of the followers of Jesus in this room. So they have this wind as a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now they have this fire as a sign of the presence of God himself with them. And it's a reminder to them, God is no longer just found in the tabernacle or in the temple. Jesus has fulfilled that when, he said, when John says that he has come to tabernacle with them. That God himself has come with them, has come to them. And now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, now the third person, the Trinity, has come to them. God is now with them. And it's not that God is just now with them. God now indwells them. Go back to John 14 about what Jesus says about the Spirit. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These tongues of fire, these miniature pillars of fire, signify God's abiding presence with his people now in the third person of the Trinity, where God had now led them in the pillars of fire in the wilderness, where he had appeared to Moses in the burning bush, whereas the second person of the Trinity had come down and walked with them, now the third person of the Trinity would be in them, signified by these pillars of fire, miniature pillars of fire coming down and descending upon them. What the followers are going to be called to do, they would not go and do alone. God himself would be with them. And so finally we are told, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so Luke is very clear to say, because of the work and presence of the Holy Spirit, the wind and the fire lead to the tongues, all the followers were able to speak in tongues. Now this is where it gets interesting <laughs> to talk about those other Christians. What we see biblically, what we mainly see biblically, let me put that, what we mainly see biblically is when it talks about speaking in tongues, that they are able to speak in another language. Not a heavenly language, not some other language yet to be found, not gibberish, but they were known, speakable, and speaking languages. You notice that Luke is very particular to list out all the various peoples from all parts of the Eastern Mediterranean region who were there, from Rome to Persia. And what do they all say? This is amazing because we hear them in our own tongues. They heard them in their own tongues. 
So the languages that the, the followers were speaking were, were, were they, they weren't unknown. Uh, uh, they weren't for, or they, they weren't unknown. But they are languages that, that were not known by them or spoken by them. But now they could because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it, it, just that in itself is it, it, wonderful, right? Wind and, and fire and be able to speak in other tongues. But that's where people stop. They stop with the mystery and they don't look at the reality. And John tells us the reality here beginning in verse 5. Now there are dwelling Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together, and that sound must have been the sound of the wind. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, and they were saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in his own native language? And, and Luke goes on to list them off, and he says, And we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are now filled with new wine. So I think there's something interesting, at least to me, happening here. Followers of Jesus, been up in the upper room, they've been waiting, they've been praying. Now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Wind, fire, tongues. And what do they do? We don't sit around and go, oh great, we're now holier than everybody else. We're now better than others because the Holy Spirit is now with us. It wasn't a badge that made them better than other Christians. And the thing is, there are there's still that happening in the church. Part of my experience church, part of my testimony, is for a couple of years I went to an offshoot of Baptist church and went to. And they were fundamentalist Baptists at, at best. And they believed in the speaking of tongues. But their idea of speaking in tongues was when somebody reached a certain level of holiness. And so it would be announced at church, so-and-so now has the ability to speak in tongues. And we all go, oh, wow. That's an all-star Christian. Then one morning, they announced that one of my ex-girlfriends was able to speak in tongues. I looked at my buddy and said, if that chick can speak in tongues, any of us can speak in tongues. Best, we hold up as a badge. I'm now a better Christian than you. Because I have the Holy Spirit. What did the followers of Jesus do? They go out to tell others about the mighty work of God. That's interesting, isn't it? They don't hold up badges or trophies. They don't go down to, to, to the, the devout Jews who are there going, oh, okay, good for you. I've got the Holy Spirit. With the breath of God on them, the presence of God in them, and their God-given ability to speak, the followers of Jesus go out to the city, presumably in the courtyard temple, and they begin to share the gospel. They speak in these foreign languages of of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and uh, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, uh, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. They're able to speak in these languages. And they're telling them all about their Jesus. They come down from the upper room and they just want to tell others about Jesus. And I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have heard what it sounded like. Maybe these people over here began to tell them about the story of creation. Maybe others began with the flood or, or, or with the exodus. 
Maybe some start talking about Job or, or, or David. Maybe they, they share some psalms or proverbs. Maybe they, they share something from the prophets like Isaiah or, or, or Jeremiah or, or, or Micah or Malachi or, or Jonah. But whatever, wherever they began, they all ended up in the same place. There was Jesus Christ. Because the mightiest work of God is salvation for his people and the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not creation. It's not the flood. It's not the exodus. The mightiest work of God is salvation for his people. And so, filled with the Spirit, each of the 124 followers of Jesus Christ went out to the crowd that day to tell others about Jesus. That's the emphasis. The emphasis isn't on the giving of the Spirit. It's on the work of the Spirit. Because the giving of the Spirit in of itself isn't what changed all those people who were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They didn't hear the sound and go, oh, I'm not a Christian. No, what changed them was the followers of Jesus filled with the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit who went out to tell everyone they could about their Jesus, their Lord and Savior, the one who is crucified, dead and buried, the one who is risen on the third day, and the one who is ascended into heaven. That is what changed people that day. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the followers of Jesus, this ministry of telling others about the wonder and grace of Jesus Christ. And so these people are hearing it, these thousands of people, and they say something that's really funny. Funny, they said they're amazed at these rural Galileans with their peculiar accents and presumably inferior education could have learned all these foreign languages. Maybe, maybe like the, the, the stereotype of Southerners, right? You hear us talk, and some of us have deeper accents than I do. But you hear us talk, and they think, well, they all wear coveralls with no shirts underneath, and they go barefoot have you know, three teeth and chew on stalks of hay, right? That's what the Galileans seem to have that reputation as well. Even goes so far as some of them accusing them of being, of being drunk. I've been around a lot of drunk people in my life. And I've heard them talk. I couldn't understand a lot they said. I've never been around a drunk who miraculously learned a, who miraculously learned a new language. So they were thinking they were able to do that. Man, that must have been good wine they were drinking then. The emphasis here is on the God-given and ordained message that was at work. Even the accusations flying were told that people were amazed and perplexed and they want to know more about this Jesus. That's the reality. And the ultimate reality this passage points us to is that the Spirit of God is still at work in this way. The promises of Jesus about the Holy Spirit are still true for us. The works of the Holy Spirit is true for us. Your eyes and your your minds and your hearts have been opened to the gospel truth because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You've been able to hear the gospel because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You've been able to understand the gospel because of the Holy Spirit. You've been able to believe the, the, the gospel because of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. It all happened in normal, ordinary, mundane ways. People were saved. Those people told other people about Jesus. Those people invited family and friends to church. Those people were committed to worship and prayer. We all 
have been affected by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in very normal, ordinary, mundane ways. Sunday school. Worship. Children's groups. Youth groups. Camp on Clarkins. Retreats. Bible studies. Prayer meetings. Let's be honest. A lot of times we go to those things thinking we get kind of boring, can't they? There ain't no wind blowing around in there unless the AC turns on too high. No tongues, divine tongues of fire appear out of nowhere and, and, and come down our heads. We don't open our mouths or are able to speak Mandarin Chinese. But the miraculous work has taken place. That you, who were born dead in your sins and trespasses, a rebel of God, an enemy of God, a child of wrath, had the Holy Spirit come to you through no merit of your own, through no work of your own, through no goodness of your own, the Holy Spirit came to you. Open your eyes, your ears, your mind, and your heart to the truth of the gospel. And you believed. So what does that mean? That means we join the followers of Jesus. We go from that room and we tell others about our Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to tell others about Jesus. It may be as simple as inviting your family or friends to church. By the way, we have a bicentennial celebration coming on April 30th. A wonderful time for you to invite family and friends to church. Inviting a Bible study. Ask them, what do you know about Jesus? Do you think the 120 that day were scared and terrified? I think so. They'd never done this before. But they went out and told others about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was at work. I'm so thankful that in my normal, ordinary, mundane faith, I know that the Holy Spirit has been at work in me. And I'm thankful to know that in your normal, ordinary, mundane faith, the Holy Spirit has been at work in you as well. That doesn't mean we gyrate and fall on the ground and speak gibberish. But it does mean we've been able to know the gospel. And now we have the opportunity to share that gospel with others. Let's pray.